There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. We've got a special live show for you coming up. In conjunction with SHRM GP, the Society of Human Resources, Greater Phoenix, we hosted a live podcast with award-winning human resources professional, author, speaker, all-around great guy, Louis Efron. We had a great conversation around the importance that purpose has to organizations and how best to execute on that purpose. In the spirit of fun, we enlisted some audience help with a cowbell and a call bell, which got used every time Lewis or I used a buzzword. You'll get the idea pretty quick. Thanks as always for listening. Feel free to share us on social media. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get that cowbell going again. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining us tonight is... The very, very, very awesome Lewis Efron. Welcome, Lewis. Thank you so much, George. It's awesome to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think that we need to start with a pretty serious question because this is a serious deal. What's your favorite dinosaur, Lewis? Oh, my goodness. My daughter asks me that question every day. My little daughter, who's in the audience right now, every day, I love a stegosaurus. Really? Do you know a stegosaurus? Do I? That's actually my favorite dinosaur. Are you serious? Like, it's I, unbelievable. There's a reason why we're here. There's a yeah. reason why we're here. It, it all makes sense. It, it, it all makes sense. That's awesome. Uh, so, but you, on a serious note, certainly, um, you've got a very impressive resume. Um, success as an author, a podcaster, a speaker, a, uh, a theater production, all kinds of stuff. But you started your career with companies that we know. Um, Striker, as well as Tesla, and you were award-winning. How did you transition from that world to the world that you're in now? Yeah, sure. I actually started my career early on in actually theatrical um, in theater in Broadway, actually, which was an interesting transition. So I spent a lot of time in labor relations in the arts, because in the arts, if you know it, everything you do involves a union. So I spent a lot of time as a, a manager and a producer and a director dealing with unions. My last three years, when I transitioned, was transitioning out of the arts, I was actually representing union actors. So I had 360 degree view of it. So I went into Stryker as a labor relations specialist and that sort of propelled me into the HR world. So I came in at a very different and colorful direction. And ultimately all this experience has brought me together into what I'm doing now, which I'm speaking, writing and consulting around bringing purpose of an organization, organizational purpose together with execution and uh, understanding why you exist as an organization above and beyond making money and then how do you execute on it to deliver awesome results got it nice well that is a lot to unpack um i feel like you are on the front end of the purpose movement of the why movement and now it seems like however many years ago that was we've reached almost peak why Everybody is talking about it. You got guys on YouTube like Simon Sinek who are doing awesome work. And um, locally, we've got Y Scouts with Brian Moore um, and those guys doing awesome work as well. Um, <laughs> and, and Emily's doing awesome work there. I think there was a missed awesome at some point. I, Probably. I, I, <laughs> can we get that cowbell again? There we 
go. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Rock on. That's good. Thank like you. That. There's a reason that awesome was the first one on that sheet because that is my, I think, um, perhaps. Yeah. Anyway, where do you see the way forward with purpose and the whole why movement? Are, are we moving in the right direction? Is there too much of it? Is, is, is that possible? Well, it's interesting. So I've been speaking about purpose pretty heavily on, on the speaking circuit and writing about it for about five years pretty heavily. I've had a very blessed life of living sort of a purpose-driven career. So I have a lot of, on that side of it, I had a lot of experience. The one thing I discovered as I was going through my journey is there wasn't a lot of discussion around execution, right? There's a lot of great heartfelt desire to change the world and organization around your purpose and do good things, which is critically important in our society, right, for businesses to do that. It attracts customers, it engages employees. But the one part I realize is people aren't talking about how do you make money doing that? How do you align your execution so people know why you exist as an organization at a very, very high level and every employee in that business understands how their work connects to fulfilling that. And the research shows, you know, that the more you fulfill your purpose, the more you drive your top and bottom line results. So it's adding the business model that has been really missing from this whole picture. And that's why what led me to my last book uh, that purpose meets execution, how winning organizations accelerate engagement and drive profits to bring the organizational purpose movement together with business execution. Got it. You have in your book, um, which is Purpose Meets Execution, it's, it's excellent. I had the opportunity to read it over the past couple of weeks. One of my favorite stories about the janitor at NASA, right? Yeah. When they were having the space race and Kennedy showed up and he was checking everything out and he noticed the janitor was just giving it 110% and he goes over he's like why are you working so hard and he's like we're working to put a man on the moon so how you view the world um, makes all the difference in the world and when I was doing prep work for this conversation I was acting under the assumption that everybody really viewed having a purpose driven organization and putting that not necessarily first but high on the list that everybody thought that that was a real thing. Do you think that that's true? That, that people felt that living in a purpose-driven environment was exists today, I mean, type of thing? Like or? that that's really important. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In the book, I did a, um, I sort of followed a study from KPMG, and, you know, we talk a lot about millennials nowadays wanting that purpose and how important that is. We do talk a lot about millennials. Yeah, but in, the, in studying KPMG, which has you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of employees actually around the world, they found out that every single employee in the organization cares about purpose. The only thing is, the, the generations, like the baby boomers and things, they're not really talking about it. Like when I was a kid, people were saying to me that you work hard, you keep your head down, you, you, you just stay with a company, and that's how you have success. You put it from the table, right? With my girls now, my nine-year-old and a four-year-old, I'm telling them, find what you love in life and experiment and when you find that and find out what you're best at and focus on that and that's what you get a job and figure out how to make money doing that. So I think everybody understands the concept of purpose. Purpose has always been as part of humanity, right? I mean, that's why we existed. I think if purpose didn't exist, we would have been extinct long time ago. Right. So I think everybody understands it's there. It just hasn't been talked about and now it's being talked about and people say they get it because every organization has a purpose, right? Businesses are in, in, in business for a reason. And I always ask organizations when I speak is if you don't know what your purpose is, ask what would happen if your organization disappeared today. What would be the pain for your customers, the community, the world? What would be the void? And that's your purpose. That's what you're doing. And when a business starts, they understand that. And as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they start focusing on their P&L. 
and they forget why they started in the first place, and no employee gets out of bed in the morning to add $10 million to a top line. They don't, don't care about that. That's not very of, exciting. Yeah, a lot of employees don't even know what a top line or bottom line is, right? Mm -hmm. But if you tell them you're saving a life or you're helping another business improve their business to help other families, whatever it is, there's a, there's a connection. So long-winded answer, but purpose is there. It's always been there. It's just being recognized now. People are talking about it. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a buzzword, but again, like I said, the, the business side needs to be added to that, that equation. Got it. Yeah. Nice. So I would like to talk a little bit about your experiences. You started with in, in, in the world of theater. Um, then you went on to, again, companies that we know, Stryker and Tesla. The differences in your experiences with those two companies, I'm sure both were positive, but when I say that, I should just ask you the question, what was different? Yeah, 100%. Maybe they were lousy experiences, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, no, they were great experiences. First of all, um, Stryker is an amazing organization. I had a chance to spend 11 years there and literally go around the world with them. I actually met my wife um, about 12 years ago over there in Stryker in Europe, had our first child in England. So Stryker actually changed my life in many great ways. Um, but the thing about Stryker, which was so powerful, is they really understand the importance of people, and they understand that their business growth and their success, and by the way, Stryker grew 30% year on year, I'm sorry, 20% year on year for 30 years, which is a New York Stock Exchange record, right? Remarkable. It's hard to get your, I, I, I can't get my brain around it. it it's remarkable. But I they, can't mentally unpack that. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It really is. And the thing is, what, why they, they were able to, uh, to accomplish that is because they understand that people are what drives their business results. So HR was always involved in every strategic decision that happened in that business. Um, whatever was going on, there was an HR leader involved because they knew how you deal with your people is what drives your business results. And that's ultimately the, the investment, huge financial investment in employee engagement, in great leadership. That's what I experienced on that side. Thank you. And um, so a really amazing experience and blessed to grow up in HR there because I learned how to do it the right way. And when I left, um, I thought the whole rest of the world knew how to do it the right way too. And I had a rude awakening with some other experiences and I got in and I go, wow, really? You don't not interested in spending $500 on employee engagement when I just came from an organization that spends, you know, three, four or five million dollars a year on it. Um, so it was, it was really That's very interesting. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. So, but when I went into Tesla, which you asked about, Tesla, another amazing experience. I mean, it is uh, an organization about six years ago, was about five, 600 people. Today, it's like over 30,000. It grew incredibly fast, no infrastructure, literally had very little HR. It just grew by literally pushing cars out the door. Um, that's a brute force. A lot of incredibly smart, innovative people there. But it actually was the impetus to my thinking around this purpose meets execution model because Tesla is such a purpose-driven organization about transitioning the world to sustainable transportation. There's people in meetings, I, I kid you not, they would tear up and cry over how important it was, that what they were doing, right? They really believed in it. But if you watch the news, I'm not sharing anything private, you watch the news, you watch the stock, it's been incredibly volatile. Um, they've had a lot of mar market misses with their product, they've had quality issues, they've had, you name it. And right now they're going through a storm of, of legal issues and other challenges. And it all comes down to the execution because Tesla right now is hinging on their Model 3 product just coming out, right? The whole company, this 30,000 multi-billion dollar company is hinging on getting Model 3 right. They've had, if you watch the news recently, a lot of hiccups on that and that's spirit, a lot of lawsuits, investors and things like that. And what that organization is suffering from is a strong sense of purpose and inability to execute the right way. 
and that's what sort of clashed when I got in there and I thought these people that really want to change the world, but they were losing money in every car they sold. And I thought, God, you cannot change the world. You cannot do anything that you want to do unless you're making money in a commercial business, right? So if you want to deliver, change the world, you've got to make profit and you've got to make sales, right? And the more sales you make and the more profits you make, the more people, like-minded people you can hire and the more you can change the world and the more you can fulfill your purpose. So, nice. I was sort of assuming that you were going to advocate for HR leaders being able to really drive and implement purpose in an organization, but your experience at Stryker proved that, right? They yeah. have made such a huge investment in it. Why do you think that that human, like effective human resources in a company drives that or, or is able to, to really make those differences? Yeah, I think you know the essence of a great human resource person is understanding a business. I always talk about myself as a business person first and the HR person second. And HR has got a terrible rap, as you know. I was presented. I spent a lot of sure meetings. I, I presented, and they always sometimes they start out meetings joking around. HR doesn't know numbers and things like that, right? That is a horrific tag for our industry, right? We need to get rid of that immediately because if you're a strategic business partner, businesses are about money, as you know, right? That's that's your field, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you're not conceived, if you're not viewed as understanding numbers in business you can no way be an HR business partner. So I think the magic behind an HR person and an HR leader and a strategic HR function is really understanding how the business works, what they do to help drive those business results. But at the very top end, it's about understanding how do you fulfill that organizational purpose because that drives your numbers, right? So you don't focus on, you've got to deliver that P&L, but the focus is on, if you're a medical company, for example, you want to save more lives or improve more lives, and that turns into more sales and profits, as opposed to, we need to add 20% or 30% to our top line, um, and by the way, we're saving some patients' lives. It's, it's just flipping it around, and HR can really help navigate that communication around that, and also enforce it in every way, from a visual standpoint, on the walls, from leadership communication, leadership development, the purpose concept needs to be enforced 360 degrees, right? I always talk about chocolate cake. You cut a chocolate cake, however you cut it, it is chocolate inside, right? That's, that's true. That's what a real, and I love chocolate cake, so maybe we can get some <laughs> later. But uh, if you, uh, that's, what, that's what great purpose organizations are about, right? And that's what HR helps, helps align that so that everybody understands it. Wherever, wherever you travel in the organization, People are playing to their strengths, they understand how they fit into the bigger picture, and that improves engagement because it increases the meaning of the work, right? It's no longer just a job, it's a, it's a life purpose. Nice. <clears throat> Sometimes we get so wrapped up in positivity and everybody wants to be positive. Let's talk about something negative. Let's talk about some of the toughest times you've had in your career, what those were and how you got out of them. Okay, let's see. That's a... Uh, well, wow. okay, so we had some, I've had some big transitions in my, in my career with, as far as organizational transitions that have been quite challenging. And for example, I'll give you one example at Stryker, which was a big transition we did. We went from a country-based structure to a franchise-based structure. So to explain this a little bit, the company had been in this structure about 30 years and starting in Europe, where I was at the time. And the P&L and all the resources were within the country. They ran their own independent businesses. And we found out after a while that we were competing more internally than we were externally, right? Because divisions and, and businesses were competing against each other within the organization, and we needed to shift that. So we decided to realign the whole business along 
product lines for franchises globally across the organization, which caused us to, or required us to break down these businesses, which had leaders that had run those businesses for years in these sovereign little nations, right? And so from an HR perspective, it was a nightmare because you were telling these leaders that had all this power, now suddenly you had to work across the organization in a very different manner. And what we discovered in that is that was part of an infrastructure issue, right? We were rewarding and, and encouraging people behaviors in a very isolated manner. And we had to shift our, our whole way of thinking about a business reward recognition to our performance management to bonus structures, all that stuff, to incentivize people and encourage people to work across the franchise and work with each other and become sort of one organization. That was a huge challenge that I, that I sort of grew a lot from. Um, that was one. Um, I had a, early in my career, I had the unfortunate opportunity to close a facility that had been run for many years. It was a union facility, having shut it down, and um, we had basically four plants in the system. We were going. We were actually five plants in the four plants. I was responsible for that. That was a, a huge challenge and a growth opportunity for me as well, because these are people that had no transferable skills in manufacturing, making a good amount of money, spending their life career there. We had to let go about 600 people, and I was. Early in my HR career, I was sort of put in charge of that, um, and you know, at the end of the day, it all came back to caring for people and doing the right thing. And in most cases in my life, um, when I've had challenges in my personal career or in my organizational career and my structure, it goes down to thinking about what's right for the people, what's the right thing to do, um, caring for your people, embracing your people, communicating with your people, and that's always seemed to navigate me out of these <laughs> these scenarios. Right. Um, fingers crossed. Hopefully, it uh, continues. But the cool thing about being in HR is HR is all about people and caring for people. And it turns out that the magic behind HR is doing that right. <laughs> and that's sort of um, been helpful. Does Go that figure, answer your right? question? Yeah, I know. It's ironic, isn't it? It is. It is very <laughs> ironic. So Lewis is the new guy here. Like, we need to fire 600 people. <laughs> Who do you think should do it? <laughs> Give it to Efron. Exactly right. Lucky guy. <laughs> Lucky you, for sure. So going through the book, again, I really enjoyed it. Um, Purpose meets execution. And I, I highlighted the heck out of it. And I just went through, and there's a certain number of things that really resonated with me from my personal experience. And I felt like those are the things that I can best talk to you about. Um, number one was selection of candidates. Because if you're really trying to build a purpose or a, a, an organization built on why, why not work harder up front to get the right people in versus getting the wrong people in and then trying to, trying to change them? Yeah, absolutely. The key to hiring the right people, especially in a purpose-based organization, what we're trying to do today is making sure you hire people that believe in what you believe. Simon Sinek talks a lot about this, right? It's not that think like you because that's that stifles innovation, right? You want people to think differently and want to get at the problem and fulfilling your purpose in a different way. So you want diversity of thought, but you want alignment with belief in the organization. And unfortunately, what happens in HR, I know this, you guys are HR, so you understand this. Um, when candidates come in, they look at the job description, they look at the company, they're prepared to answer questions they expect to get. They, they sort of, they don't lie on their resume, but they, you know, they sort of finagle their resume a bit to make it fit the job description, all the right buzzwords, right? So they come in prepared. The HR person or the lead manager who's interviewing usually has these kind of questions that everybody knows are coming, right? Everybody's prepared for it. They position the company in the right way. But no one gets behind the facade of an interview. And getting behind the facade of interview is cracking into who the person is that you're actually meeting with. And so what I, I posed lots of questions in this book, but questions like if you didn't need money, 
what would you spend your day doing? Not hanging out here. <laughs> you go, exactly. Um, what do you want to be known for in life? Um, the great question is if you're, um, what, what do you passionately spend your time on where you lose track of time? Um, questions like that help get behind what a candidate is prepared for, and it, it rattles them a bit, which is great. I think that's a good one. And another thing that's so easy to do that people interviewing miss is try to ask people what you're most passionate about or, or try to get them to talk about something that they really, really love. And when people stumble across that, in your personal life too, right, their, your body language changes, people sit up, their eyes, eye focus changes, their energy, their hands, right? Um, you can see it in the candidate, right? So if you could get someone into that space where they're talking about, I know there's obviously legal things, you can't go here, you can't go there, but you can certainly ask questions about what, as a child, for example, what did you love doing, right? I mean, if someone hates animals, you don't hire them for PetSmart, right? <laughs> I mean, you know you're going to have a bad experience. If someone doesn't like caring for people, don't hire them for a medical industry. If someone doesn't have any interest in cars, don't hire them for an automotive organization, you know? So those are simple things. So whatever you're doing, try, and it's never, you're never going to get 100% alignment because that's unrealistic. But if you can get 80% alignment with your candidates and they come in, they go, yeah, I, I you know, I, I love, like I'm a big motorcycle rider, so working at Harley, that would be cool, right? Um, you have that baseline and then the rest of it, you know, sort of comes along. But you're, to your point, if you hire people that don't connect with that bigger purpose to begin with, it's never going to work. You're going to get mediocre vanilla performance at the best, right? If you want world-class performance, you need that alignment at the baseline with that purpose, and then everything else, you know, the alignment with the strengths and what they do best, that accelerates that and makes it great. Yeah. Another thing that was really near and dear to my heart was the concept of self-management. And that's something that in, in my career in professional sales, I think you really need to be an effective self-manager. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy doing it. You won't be good at it. And you talked about how ants are excellent self-managers, like the actual insects. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, no, I mean, ants is amazing. I mean, they're amazing organizational um, sort of insect, in a way. Um, but they do, they all have a very clear purpose, and that's the whole basis of an ant colony or ants and stuff. They have a clear purpose. Everybody knows what every ant knows. I'm personifying them, but everybody knows um, what know. their role is, and they go about doing it, and they understand the purpose behind their existence, right? And because of that, they do what they need to do to fulfill that purpose. No one has to, there's no leaders or managers telling them you gotta do this, you gotta go this way. They instinctively know. So the clearer the alignment in your head as an employee, right, if you understand what you're trying to do as an organization, it's easier for you to align your work to fit in with that. And it's, it's like I said, self-manage. If you know that your mission and organization is to improve someone's life and you're doing work that doesn't help that, you know I need to stop doing this work or figure out how I do it differently to help feed into that because every role in an organization ultimately feeds into that organizational purpose. Every organization, every role, whether it be the receptionist, whether it be some manufacturing floor, whether it be the vice president of marketing, sales, finance, whatever. If they don't feed into that purpose, you don't need them there, right? So that self-concept, the self-management concept in the ant colony is, is I think the best parallel I could find of a great purpose organization that, that's, that gets it, right? Where every, every person in the organization understands why they're there, what they're trying to do, and then they can do it on their own, right? No one has to push them in different directions. And also, it's self-management. People manage out of organizations on their own, too, right? If you're in an organization, if you're an ant colony, you don't like being an ant, right, and you want to go off in this direction, you're quickly, you quickly move on on your own, right, as opposed to being having to be fired. So you think that the ants do? 
Well, you know, I think they probably get crushed if they don't, <laughs> they don't do it. God knows what happens to ants. I, I don't think there's know. a lot of externalities in the ant world. I have no idea. I've, yeah, I've actually no. never, I've never had one of those ant farm deals. Um, do ants sleep? Do they just go 24 seven? Just you know, I, I don't really know. I tried to infiltrate a ant colony recently, and they just would not let me in. They, I just wanted to do my own thing, and they were really just pissy about the whole thing. So, anyways, uh, not not welcome, Louis no, Efron. Didn't work. Didn't not work. welcome. But I don't think they do. I don't think they've ever seen them sleep. I think it could be quite dangerous for an ant to sleep. That's fair. So they're in a walkway. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> be very foolish. Yeah. It would very be foolish. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, I think. One of the big things that I, I, I got from the book is, and how important it is to have an open, if it's possible to have a totally open and honest organization where you feel like it's okay to share. And recently, I'm sure that we're all aware of it, at Google, they asked for feedback and one of their engineers wrote this 16 or 18 or 20 page memo that they viewed as politically incorrect and they fired him and to me, that just says, my, my goodness, how to squash the idea of open and honest sharing, whether you agree with her or you don't. The answer to that kind of speech is just more speech. You should have just kept talking about it. Yeah. But maybe that's an unpopular position. Let's unpack that. <laughs> well, you know, I just recently wrote an article about uh, cultures of fear in Forbes, actually, that stems into what we're talking about here. And trust is the basis of every relationship, whether your personal relationship or a business relationship. Mm -hmm. If you don't have trust as a foundation, nothing else works, right? People are hold information back. They're afraid to speak. There's not a fluid, you know, fluid communication organization that kills innovation. It kills engagement. It's devastating. So you have to have a, a, a well, thank you for a, a baseline of trust um, in any relationship, and that is especially true in a corporate environment. Um, and so where the breakdown is, that story you described as Google is a great example of you know there's going to be lots of employees in an organization that are going to be on their guard now, right? Because they had an example. And I wrote another call, it's not what you say as a leader, it's what you do as a leader. So you can say we have a trusting culture and then someone gets fired if they speak up, it's gone, right? It's what you do, your actions you take, right? It's leadership by example that creates trust in an organization. So, and there was a research study, and I mentioned in the book, on that Gallup did many years ago, and they determined that organizations that have a high level of trust, when they ask the leaders what they do to instill trust in an organization, the leaders couldn't tell them. So the organizations, they said, that have the highest level of trust are the organizations talking least about it, which makes complete sense, right? You don't go home to your wife each day and go, were you with anybody else uh, earlier today, right? Um, where were you earlier? I mean, you, you don't do that because you have a baseline of trust, right? You don't talk about it. And it's the same thing in organizations. It's a simple concept. But organizations that I've interacted with that are always talking about trust and the leaders are up there, we trust, we trust, we trust. They're the ones where there's a lack of trust. Ooh. Which is really a provocative, con you know, situation. But it's, it's, it's <clears throat> if you have to go around telling people that you're a leader, you're probably not a leader. Yeah. Um, that leads into I, I love the book Fierce Conversations and the idea of interrogating reality, and it just feeds right back into that. If people are always changing, organizations are always changing, and we forget to tell each other that hey, I'm I I, I view the world differently now. Yeah. And if you're not able to, to have those open and honest, and I don't want to say open and honest, but at least a, a free-flowing exchange of ideas and thoughts where you're not 
worried about getting fired. It's probably not going to work out very well. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, people need to feel comfortable speaking. I mean, if it's inappropriately, I mean, then that's a that's a performance. That's a, you know, the performance management issue or HR issue, whatever. But if it's uh, if they're speaking openly about thoughts and concerns and issues, they've we've got you got to support that organization. You got to show that that's encouraged. And when someone speaks up at a big meeting, it's a great opportunity for a senior leader, right? Someone speaks up and says something unpopular, as opposed to the CEO chastising that person. The best thing to say is, I appreciate that comment. I'd love to hear more like that. Here's why I think differently. Um, that's a way of handling it. That, and everybody around goes, wow, that's really awesome. Someone spoke up. And the CEO actually encouraged that. I'm, I'm going to say something now. And you get start, people start, the momentum starts building in a very positive way. And it's so simple. It costs no money. And it's just simple behaviors that leaders can do to change an entire dynamic. Nice. Excellent. Um, some practical scenarios that, that I'd, I'd really like to talk about. I think that every, everybody, well, every HR leader that believes in purpose and execution wants to have their voice heard in an organization. Well, let's talk about somebody who maybe is just in the first couple of years of working there and they don't necessarily have a seat at the executive table, but that's where they want to get. How would you encourage them to, to, to move forward to be able to have influence? Yeah, and this is back to what I said earlier. Know the business. Understand business. Understand how to read P&Ls. Understand what you do and how it impacts the organization. For example, if I'm, if I'm approaching a senior leader to talk about engagement, I'm not going to go up and say, oh, let's launch an employee engagement initiative because it's cool, we want to know how people feel, and you know it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to come to them and say, hey, I've got this idea of how we can grow our top line by 5% and our bottom line by 3%. And it's by further engaging our employees in this way. And it's going to involve this engagement survey and this engagement initiative, right? Purpose meets execution, for example. This is based in a lot of research. There was a, a two studies done back to back about 15 years apart, and the, and the second one done recently showed over a 15-year period, the S&P 500, basically the stock market, grew about 118% during this period of time. They looked at purpose-based organizations, organizations like IKEA, IDEO, Whole Foods, that focus on purpose over P&L, and those companies grew, I believe it was 1,681% during that same period of time. These are hard business numbers. So if you're going to approach a CEO, even initially coming in, you could do it on your day one. If you come in day one, you want to see the table, you go to your CEO and says, I know how we can increase our business by 1,000%. Let me hear what you have to say, right? And then you talk about the concept. That's how HR has to lead with everything, right? If you're talking about training, we need to train our employees more. No, no, we need to train our employees more because I can show you a correlational study that every time we train an employee, um, this is what happens to our sales as a result of it, or whatever the case may be. So you've got to lead with the business and what your leaders care about. And your leaders care about their bonus, their objectives, their shareholders, that P&L, right? Um, and so heading in it through purpose is you can show them how you can increase their sales and their profit as a result of focusing on purpose. But you lead with that, right, in everything you do in HR, and that gets you to seat at the table because once you prove once you can actually deliver that 5% in the top line, you're there because there's no reason why someone who is running a P&L in a business wouldn't want someone at the table, regardless of who they are, that's going to help them increase their sales and profits, right? So that's how you have to get at everything you do in HR. It's measurement, right? Instead of measuring how many performance reviews, this, this has always been a, a pet peeve of mine, right? HR departments tend to measure 
getting 100% performance reviews, and they celebrate that. We got 100% in, even though if they force managers to write three sentences and it's garbage and they say all these nasty things, right? But they got 100% celebration, go out to dinner, big party, right? But it means nothing because in a lot of cases they've disengaged employees in it. People haven't got, got five-minute reviews, which shows you don't care about the people. So instead of measuring number of performance reviews, measure the impact on the results of doing a great performance review and the increase, maybe people being promoted, maybe people getting higher increases, people improving performance, right? That's what you measure, right? Instead of measuring how many managers you train, we got 100% managers through, but the business is, is going backwards, right? Measure the impact of your training on the business. So it's just looking at things a different way. There's a great quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer, said, you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm. And I, that's my favorite quote ever. But it's just looking at what you do today and figuring out how do you look at it in a different way. And from an HR perspective, like I said, you can go in day one. If you can speak the numbers and understand the business, you can get a seat at table day one. Dr. Wayne Dyer is far more articulate than I am. I just say how you look at something makes all the difference. Uh, it, it works too. Same thing. <laughs> I think the mindset is 100%. The, the lens through which you view the world makes all the difference. If you think the world's out to get you, the world's probably going to be out to get you, right? If you have an abundance mentality that says that more things are going to keep coming to me, then that's probably the way that it's going to go. Um, did you have a mindset back when you were, I, I can't even imagine the demands on you working in human resources for a company like Stryker, but did you have a certain mindset you approached every day with? Yeah, you know, I come from a really bizarre background, as I mentioned, coming from the theater. And the in most interesting thing is people saw it was like a huge delta between what I was doing in the theater and what I was doing in my world as an HR professional. And it turned out that, that what I learned as a theatrical director was what I relied on as a, an HR professional that actually helped me be successful. And what that was, as a theatrical director, I was about finding the right talent for the right roles, right? People that connected to a role from their heart. They were great actors technically, so they got it in their mind, right? They had the experience and skill. And I put them in an environment with other people that they can connect with to create a culture on stage that moved an audience, which by the way, audiences pay for tickets just like any product, right? I'm, I was able to emotionally move a product. So when I stepped into HR, I thought, you know, I need to push my art back so people wouldn't take me seriously. And I quickly learned that no, this is what I'm doing here. I have, I was trained in putting the right people in the right roles, connecting someone to a heart, right? And, and building a culture of, you know, something, a world on stage, which is exactly what you do in an organization to attract the outside customer. <laughs> and that, that's been my, my secret formula. That's awesome. Back in my theatrical directing. <laughs> awesome. Let's get that bell going. <laughs> Excellent. How about some more of that cowbell back there, young lady? Nice. <laughs> nice. Lewis, great job. Um, I'd like to open it up, see if anybody has any questions. I bet Emily has a question, but we'll start with you, sir. Uh, great discussion. Now I have to, I did not read your book, I must confess, but now I must read your book. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm in the alignment work. It was a word outside of the two words in the title of your book. The word maybe you use the most is this process of alignment, which somehow leads to execution. And in my work, what I've noticed is, you know, 
and you were kind of alluding to it. I'm trying to figure out my question as I'm going, <laughs> but I'll get there. Trust I know, me. we got we got plenty of time. Trust Good. me, is the nexus between, I think, the two, it's, it's really not so much what I'm doing that creates the execution, it's the accountability I'm creating. And I, to me, that is almost the nexus point of the alignment process from purpose to execution, is when you have a responsible party in there that's responsible for creating the alignment, um, for me at least, it's, it's that accountability force. It's, it's less what I'm doing to create the alignment and more about the accountability that's created because I'm there. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Or yeah. Is that, yeah, absolutely. Did you experience that? Yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you a direct example. I have a couple examples in the book, but I'll give you one from actually Stryker um, when I was there. We had um, people on the manufacturing floor. As an HR professional, I always went out and did all the work for the people just for a couple hours or a couple minutes just to understand what the people I was representing were actually doing. So I went out on the floor and with hip, Stryker sells mostly hip and knee implants, that's like the main products. And on these, um, for example, the, the knees, there's these little beads, these little tiny beads that you put on. And at the time when I was there, they were being put on by hand by these um, technicians who had done it for sometimes 30 years. I did it for about half an hour and I literally almost wanted to blow my brains out. I don't know how they did it for 30 years. But the interesting thing is, to your point, what we would do at Stryker, we'd bring patients in to talk about how their life was saved or improved, or grandparents that couldn't pick their kid, grandkids up before because of pain in their knees or joints. And there was never a dry, dry eye in the house, in the manufacturing side or any other part of the business when they would see this. So this person putting the beads on the product saw their work as helping save a life. When they were doing their work, that's what they envisioned, right? And that alignment, like you said, was it, it took it away from what they were actually doing to a much bigger, meaningful thing. Um, and that's when I think of alignment, that's the connection, right? It takes it from a job to a meaning. And there's tons of research that shows the more meaning people have in work, the more engaged they are, the better results, the harder they work, the more productivity. There's another example I have in the book from O.C. Tanner, which you're probably familiar with, right? O.C. Tanner, big recognition company. When I toured their facility, usually you walk through. And I am I hitting your questions here too? Am I, I, I'm enjoying this whole experience. So just keep. Going. Okay, good. Okay. So when I when you walk through a traditional, how many people have walked through a manufacturing facility in your career? Okay. So when you usually walk through, I notice most people keep their heads down, especially if you're an ex, look like an executive. They think they're going to be fired, right? So everybody keeps their head down. They work. Here come the suits. Exactly. Someone's going to lose their job. When I walked through O.C. Tanner, people wanted to show me what they were doing. They literally wanted. They were making eye contact, trying to get my attention. And there was a, a woman there that literally was polishing a pin. And that's what her job for years. She was polishing pins. She was really into it. She wanted to show me how she did it. And the interesting thing is when asked her what she does, is she says she helps reward people for great work. And when she's polishing this pin, she knows it's given to someone to recognize great work and they bring it home to their families That's to show. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, talk about powerful. That was her emotional driver. So she didn't want these smudges on this because wow, she that. didn't want to ruin an experience that was so special for the customers of the business, right? And the families of, the, of those customers. That's alignment, right? That's powerful. Those are people that are not going to shove something under the table because it has, you know, because they want to avoid getting performance management or they're, if they're getting paid fairly, they're not going to be in HR complaining about their pay because it's something important to them. And that's where the alignment, for me, that's the magic of alignment. You know, those are two examples at least. If that hit on what you were talking yeah. about. Yeah, just another example. Yeah. I, I, I 
product. Actually made me feel bad using them as an OEM because it was soulless. Yeah, it was a completely soulless. <clears throat> That's a bummer. Place. Yeah. But um, so yeah, I mean, when you connect a story and a purpose to you know, that, that story, it, it changes everything. Yeah. Do you do you have a sense of how to help somebody get to that place? Do people find it on their own? Well, yeah, I mean, that was go back to that question I posed earlier. First, as an organization, and obviously you have to start at the top, right? If the top of the organization is broken, you can do whatever you want at the bottom, it'll always be broken, right? So all this starts at the top from a leadership standpoint, the very highest part of the organization. And asking that question, which I mentioned before, right? If you're an organization that's sort of, you don't know which way your, your rudder's going right now, and you're all over the board, and you're struggling, ask, stop yourself and say, if our organization disappeared today, what would be the void? What would be the pain, right? And once you discover that, you get alignment across your organization. First, you start the C-suite and make sure everybody believes. And if the people don't believe in that, I mean, again, it has to be a purpose. Like, for example, Tesla. There's nobody that will deny that Tesla is about transitioning the world to sustainable transportation. No one's going to say, ah, no, they're about making toasters, right? So you want to make sure you have a clear alignment and a clear purpose that everybody understands. Once you have that at the top level of organization and it's understanding in your C-suite, then you cascade it down and you cascade it back up, right? So you go both ways. So you feed that information down. Here's why we exist. You get the nod, the buy-in, you get feedback, you roll it back up. And then you brand the hell out of it, right? You, you market it, you make sure you live it. The living by example, like I mentioned, is, is absolutely key to making this transition. Because once you define who you are, and then people see that you're living that way, right? And you're doing what you say you're doing. Then it starts changing people's opinions on things. And you reinforce it through visuals and the walls, like I said, through leadership communication, every which way possible. And that helps even from an outside perspective. I always say the, the employment brand and your customer brand should be the same thing. I'm a, I'm a firm advocate. I know there's a movement of bringing marketing and HR together. Firm, firm advocate of that, right? Because. The worst thing to do is go back to a chocolate cake, chocolate cake example is sell some great culture inside and it's entirely different than what an employee expected, right? Because there's immediate disengagement. But if you have a clear alignment between your internal and external brand, it's all the same. There's no hiding. It's all transparency, right? People that join the organization know what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go. Customers that connect to your organization know what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go. Then everybody can help you do that, right? Because it's clear. So I think bringing those two together is another way of, of helping clarify that. But it starts with good communication. You know, that's that's where it is, and that helps change it. And then once you have that communication, making sure your line managers at every level sit down with employees and help them connect as well. Like I, the examples I gave, right? Do you understand how this connects? If they don't, let's have a dialogue about it. You know, this is how it works. And hopefully they get it. So if people don't get it, maybe it's not the organization for them, right? They move on. But great communication, like I said, understanding that purpose at the very top end, communicating, that's how it all works. You're making this way too easy. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. That's what you told me to do, right? I mean, that was the, that was the plan. Make it too easy, man. <laughs> Make it easy. Make it all right. Easy. So I sit down with the people, and I ask them if they understand what we're doing, and I reinforce that. Got it. 
Yeah, it's pretty simple. Mm. That's the great thing about it. There's none of this is brain <laughs> surgery. It's all basic right. stuff. You stop and think about it, and it's like obvious. You know, it's obvious stuff. Nice. Anyone else have any questions? How about some more cowbell? I want to know who's doing that cowbell. That's my big question. I like is that it. my daughter Anya Rose Efron? Yes, it is. <laughs> doing an excellent job. Well, not everybody knows that the Figure Out podcast receives letters from children all over the world on a pretty consistent basis. We've got uh, letters from really all corners. So let's pull one out. They knew we were having Lewis on. So this letter comes from little Jimmy in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It says, Lewis, appreciate you being on the podcast. So, Elon Musk. That's it. That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will share with you. I, I think Elon's an amazing guy. There's, been, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of stories about him. If you read the press, you know that he can be a little rough and abrasive to work with. I got very lucky during my time at Tesla. I had a great experience. All my interactions with him were fantastic. I had a chance to sit with him for one-on-one -on -one for about 35 minutes, just like we're sitting here, no table between us. And that was remarkable because I found out after it was a pretty rare occurrence. So I got to talk about why I was at Tesla, what engagement is all about. And I find him a very, very thoughtful person. Um, very heartfelt person, very heart-driven person, very smart person, obviously. Um, so I had a great experience with him. I mean, I think he's, um, and he's, he's doing some amazing things. He's, he's revolutionary. You know, he's, he's the Einstein people talk, you know, of, a, of our current um, situation and, and of current, you know, environment. So I had a great, great time interacting with him, and I feel incredibly blessed. I had a chance to connect with, with a man like Elon Musk. Um, so hopefully that answers little, was it little Jimmy or little... John. Yeah, I, I feel like it was Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, maybe it was Jimmy, yeah. I feel like it was so, Jimmy. yeah, little Jimmy. Let's go. <laughs> I have a question. So, engagement is such a buzzword, and everybody's talking about it, but what do you feel is the biggest misconception about that word and about actually being able to facilitate? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. I wrote an article about this recently because um, the thing that drives me crazy about the whole engagement movement is everybody's been talking about it for maybe 20 years now. People have been measuring it. People have been putting tools in place. But if you look at the overall measurements, measurements haven't changed. They haven't changed. Great organizations like Gallup, who's done some amazing work in that area. I had a chance to work with them for 11 years at Stryker. Great, great work on that. Still, the numbers have not changed. Deloitte reports 80% of the global workforce is unhappy in their jobs. Something is missing. In comes purpose meets execution. That's exactly what I was trying to address because I'm a firm, I believe in the, in, the, in the concept of engagement. It makes perfect sense, right? If you're happy in what you do, you're connected to what you do, you're gonna perform better, you're gonna create customers that wanna come back to you in loyalty, it makes complete sense. But everything out there is not working. It's not working, right? We're measuring it. It's not working. So I think the way to get at it, and that's what I firmly believe, is again, having people recenter on why they're there, that meaning behind the work, the purpose, and how what they do each day connects to fulfilling that purpose, because it makes a whole different whole different world. You know, I always lead, close my presentations about, with, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. You want every employee in your business to jump out of bed and love what they're doing, right? And that just, just imagine the power of that just in our, in our economy. Imagine if those 80% of the global population that hate what they're doing suddenly woke up one day and everybody said, life's great, right? Imagine what would happen. 
So that's, I think, is the, the secret sauce behind moving the needle on engagement. That's my idealistic sort of mission in life, is to move that needle. I think if we get this concept and organizations start embracing it, I think we'll see the numbers start moving. I really do. Yeah, of course. Excellent. What else would you like to share, sir, as our time is drawing to a close? I'll just give um, a quick two plugs for, for new books I have coming out. Yes. To the, yeah, which, um, which is really exciting. I have, I'm, have a new book coming out the next year called uh, Behind the Ink, um, Lessons from the Transition of an Industry. And this is a really unique book. It's about Mario Barth, who is a very famous tattoo artist, celebrity tattoo artist, who's done Sylvester Stallone, Lenny Kravitz, all the, all the big people. He owns the big studios. Starlight Express, um, Starlight Tattoo in um, Las Vegas, produces all the ink around the world for tattooing. And he transitioned a back alley industry basically into a corporate entity and he's running this remarkable business. So I've written a book about him on that, on that and, I have a new, cool. and I have a children's book coming out, um, What Kind of Bee Can I Be to help really children identify with purpose in life and what they should do. and and connect with and that's for my little girls out there and even my wife who doesn't necessarily like reading my business stuff so I wrote something that actually they would like to read and so that's being illustrated right now and that'll be out next year and uh, what kind of bee can I be what kind I, of bee can I be is it about a journey of a bee finding its purpose and life and purpose in, in life that's awesome yes nice so, yeah <laughs> give me the bell come on I've said awesome like 15 times and didn't get the bell thank you awesome well, the current book here is awesome. You are so awesome, George. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> is Purpose Meets Execution. I definitely encourage you to check it out. Um, thank you so much. George, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. Feel free to share us on social media. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. Well done, sir. Thank you, everybody. Cowbell. Yeah. Thanks. thanks, guys.